God is good. I said, God is good. Yeah. And his mercy endureth forever. Hallelujah. Everybody stand up if you would mind. Give somebody a hug and tell them you love them. Come on. Uh, you, you could say, well, I just said that last week, but you need to say it again. Hallelujah. I love you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Okay. Yes. Welcome to Wednesday night. To life everlasting. Daddy. Did I say that right? Yes. Awesome. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, let's get some announcements done. Uh, we've got overcomers tomorrow night. At set, yeah, at seven. At area 51. Uh, Training a Christian Academy has a firework fundraiser right outside there, and they need some. Uh, if you want to volunteer, uh, it goes to July the fourth, so they need volunteers. I'm sure still do. So sign up in there in the commons room for uh, volunteering to help. Okay. Uh, so um, also we have uh, outdoor movie night Friday. And they're showing Mario Brothers. So that's to be the first one. It's going to be for the whole month of July. Friday nights. So that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, help support if you can. Also, uh, Train Bible College is, uh, uh, having enrollment. Uh, that's awesome stuff, man. So if you want to sign up, you need to see Jesse about that, I guess. Uh, so anyway, uh, offering. Isn't, isn't, isn't God good? Hey, you get to give. I, I tell you what, you gotta love offering. Wasn't that offering great that they gave to the missionary Sunday? Now let me tell you something. That, yes, yeah, you need to, you need to clap on that. Hallelujah. That's what it's all about right there. More than enough. We're gonna, you're gonna see some results of that because that's planting seed and you're gonna get some of that crop. Amen? Yes. Hallelujah. So, um, offering, got, got the church hat, uh, got text to give, that number up there. Also, you have the, you have the envelopes in the back, and you got the bucket back there. Uh, and like I said, Wednesday night, you know, that's when you gotta give it till it hurts. Yeah, yes. So, you know, God, uh, before I pray over them, God, we are to honor God. We honor God with our offering. That's the one way of doing it. You know what? It's not yours anyway. It's God's. 
Everything that you have is his. That's the way we look at it. And you honor him by giving to him. And in Philippians 4, verse 19, I think, or in that area, it says, My God, Paul's told him, the Philippians says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. Why? Because Philippians were given. You know, sometimes when you give, it might just hurt a little bit. Come on. Might just hurt just a little bit. But know this, that God, the same God that supplied Paul when he was in need, will supply that need back to you when you honor God. Amen? So, hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the service tonight. We thank you for the anointing that's being here. We thank you for the offering, Father, and we pray over the offering that increase and increase and increase. In offerings every week. We thank you, Father. And we honor you. Honor you. Hallelujah. And we praise you. And, and, we, and we love you. And we thank you for just meeting our needs. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody tonight. Go ahead and open your Bible to 1 John chapter 5. We missed last Wednesday uh, service. We missed service because of the uh, storm and the electric being out. And we got together and cleaned up the campus. So we appreciate everybody who came out and helped us that night. Um, so we missed one of our uh, messages in this series. So instead of being three messages, we're going to do it in two. So we're going to continue and complete it tonight. By faith. <laughs> no, we never complete any message because you could just go on and on and on and on. So we're just going to get into it a little bit and we'll see where we end up. Maybe one of these days we'll pick it back up again. So uh, we talked about last time, I'm going to kind of go real fast uh, just to review. Um, we talked about being possessors of life. We talked about the title of this, I named it Life Everlasting because I wanted the emphasis on life. Because Christianity isn't a code of conduct, it's not a religion, uh, it's not tenets of a religion, it's a life. The very difference between uh, being a follower of Jesus and being a member of any of the world religions is the fact that the true Son of God has received an impartation of the very life of God. In fact, the very fullness of God resides on the inside of every single believer in Jesus Christ. The moment you say Jesus is Lord, God moves on the inside of you. In His fullness, He comes to live on the inside of the believer. So we've received life. We've received the, the divine life of God. The very same life that God has in eternity is on the inside of every believer. And we were just talking about, I was trying to just establish the fact that the Bible teaches that he who believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. Because so many people have this idea of eternal life being life when we die and go to heaven. And they think of it as I'm going to live forever. But the word ianos, which is translated eternal or everlasting, it actually is not talking about a a quantity per se, but a quality of life. 
It is a life that lasts forever because it's the life of eternity. It's God's life that he has in eternity. And once the believer receives God's life, he's going to have it forever. But it's really talking about a quality of life. It's talking about the ability to experience the life of God in and through us here now in this age that we live in. And so in 1 John chapter 5... Tonight I want to try to talk about being a partaker of that life. Because Jesus didn't just come so we could have his life on the inside and just be, you know, blessed by the fact that I've got it. But he gave it to us so we could not just be a possessor of it, but that we could actually be partakers of the life of God. And listen, if we're partaking of the life of God, our life should be different than people who don't possess the life of God. It should be affecting change on our, in our life. We should be experiencing God. We should be experiencing His life. We should be experiencing health. We should be experiencing all kinds of things that the world cannot experience because they're devoid of that life. And listen, let me just get real with y'all tonight. We have been fooled in modern Christianity to buy an end to the idea that... Uh, Having knowledge intellectually uh, is what life is all is what eternal life is all about. We, in other words, when we think if we know something intellectually that we have it, but knowing biblical knowing is not intellectual; it's experiential. In fact, when it says. Um, That eternal life is to know God. The word know there is not talking about an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. See, Christianity and eternal life is about us being able to experience God. Not just have a knowledge of God. But to actually know experientially, know Him because we experience His life in and through us. Man, we got to get real. If we're not experiencing something that the Scripture says belongs to us, then we need to realize that we may know it intellectually, but we don't really know it as we should if we're not experiencing it. Listen, there's a lot of people that want to say a lot of stuff on Facebook. There's a lot of people that want to say something for God, but they don't really have something to say. I didn't really mean to say that. I'm sorry. I apologize. (laughs) There's a lot of people that want to say something, but there's a difference in wanting to say something and really having something to say. Listen, we need to hear the word preached with conviction, not intellectualism. And we need to be honest enough to be able to admit to ourselves That if there's something in the word that we're not experiencing, we need to evaluate and say, hey, look, it's not, we're not, I'm not missing it because it's on God's end. I'm missing it because it's on my end. But God has provided everything that we need to be able to experience him in his fullness. Okay, so that was the intro. (laughs) Sorry. I feel like I'm rushing because I know I got one hour. (laughs) 
Okay, so anyway, let's go here to First uh, John 5 and verse 9. And it says, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. The way that I would explain that is, you know, whenever you have some kind of a trial or something, do you know that eyewitness testimony is the greatest evidence that there is in a trial? Eyewitness evidence. In fact, it's called the gold nugget of evidence. An eyewitness testimony trumps any kind of witness. Because if somebody can stand up and say, I saw them do that under oath, then we accept that testimony as true. But listen, if we receive the testimony of men, the witness of God is even greater. Because listen, here's what happens. When someone brings eyewitness testimony to a trial, you know what they start to do? They start to attack their character and try to break down your trust in their testimony. But listen, God is not a man that he should lie. And so if we accept the testimony of men, how much more should we accept the testimony of God? For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. Verse 10, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. Listen, no man makes God a liar but he judges man, God as untrue when he refuses to believe God's testimony. When you believe God's testimony concerning his son, you have just judged him as true. Listen, when you judge the words of somebody, you're judging the person. And so God has given testimony concerning his son. And here it is. This is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. Boy, that's pretty plain, isn't it? If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you do not have the life of God. And listen, when God, when Jesus returns... Those who are going to enter into the kingdom, the millennial kingdom of of Jesus Christ, are those who have the life. And those who are not going to enter in are those who do not have the life. That's simply it. It is not based on your moral goodness. The old idea of God's going to put my good works and bad works on a scale, and as long as my good works outweigh my bad, then I'm going to get in. That's, That's baloney. That is not the gospel. The gospel is you believe on Jesus, you trust in his finished work. Because God's testimony is the testimony that he's given concerning who his son is and what his son has accomplished in his redemptive work. Through his death, burial, resurrection, ascension back to heaven, Jesus accomplished. He met every legal demand that was against mankind for sin. And when we put our trust in him, God justifies us in his sight. We are forgiven of our sins. We are made righteous and we are born again as sons because he imparts his very life to us. And the testimony of God is that he's given us eternal life. And when you believe the test, see the gospel is not the presentation of a religion. The gospel is a declaration of God's testimony. Mm. 
See, it's not going out and tell people, you better straighten your life up. You need to get right. And that's not what it, that's not what the gospel is, people. It's not taking up the banner of certain sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you're preaching the gospel, include your own sins. Don't just pick the ones other people are doing. See, that's what the problem is with the church. We want to pick out the things that we're, we're, we're not doing and point out the things that the world's doing. But really, Paul summed it up in, the, in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God. <laughs> Listen. No person by their works or their morality has been able to produce the righteousness of God and be justified in His sight. In fact, if you've sinned one time in your life, you are disqualified. (laughs) The gospel is the presentation of God's testimony concerning Jesus Christ, that He was God who became flesh, dwelt among us, offered Himself as a sacrifice for sin, and fully met every legal demand that was against us according to the law because of our sin. And even though we're guilty because of our faith in what He did for us, God is just in declaring us not guilty. All of our sins are forgiven, not just because God said, listen, I love you and I don't want to count that against you. I don't want you to be punished. That's not what it is at all. It's because Jesus was the substitute, sacrifice for our sin. He bore our iniquity. He bore our punishment. He died under the judgment and the wrath of God so that our sins could be paid for and we could freely receive the righteousness of God as a gift. Man, when you understand that, then it takes away all of your boasting and your your religious pride. It, it causes you to be thankful for the grace of God and to realize that without Him, you can do nothing. Hmm. It's the testimony of God. The gospel is His testimony concerning His Son. And listen, God doesn't take kindly to people messing with His testimony. In fact, when you start adding stuff to the gospel, you're walking on dangerous ground now. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 1 that anybody who adds law to grace is under a curse. A divine curse. And we need to present the testimony of God You know, we don't have to talk people into receiving Jesus. In fact, you can't. Jesus said, no man can come to the Father Father unless he draws him. So we preach the gospel and we leave the results up to God. We preach the gospel, we allow the Holy Spirit to take the testimony of God, convict the hearts of men, and then he draws people, and they have the ability to receive or reject the truth. But people use apologetics and all kinds of stuff, and they're trying to talk people intellectually into receiving Jesus, and it won't work. You just enroll them in a form of religious Christianity. Mm. I didn't plan on talking about all that, but anyway, there you go. 
Okay, so the difference in a believer and an unbeliever is that the believer has received an impartation of God's life. The very life of God we have on the inside of us. Let me look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. So I kind of want to look at a few things here. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to show because, I mean, most people in here know this, but there may be somebody in here who's new, who hasn't seen this before. But what this scripture reveals is that man is made up of three dimensions. You're more than meets the eye. There's more to you than what I see just looking here on the surface. There's more to you. I'm just looking at one dimension. If I start talking to you, now I'm interacting with two dimensions. But there's actually three dimensions to a man. And this scripture here lays it out for us that man is made up of three parts. First of all, spirit. He's made of spirit. And I'm going to use these same colors so you can see it. He's made of soul, or he has a soul, and then he has a body. You are not a body. You're a spirit. Believer, unbeliever alike, you are a spirit. That is the real you. You're not a body. You have a body, but that's not who you are. You're a spirit. The soul is the mental part of you, okay? The soul, I like to say it like this. The soul is made up of your attitudes, your appetites, and your emotions. And it's your mental capacity to think and reason and stuff like that. But I want to mention these because those are what we struggle with. Okay, so you have, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. So when you received the impartation of the life of God, it didn't affect your physical body. In fact, if you were, uh, pastor says it like this, so I'm going to say, if you were ugly before, <laughs> you got saved, you're ugly after I like to say it like this. If I was handsome before, I'm handsome after. <laughs> but the point is, your physical body does not change when you get saved. See, the, the new birth or the impartation of the life of God doesn't affect your outer man. See, the body is the outermost part of who you are. Now, your soul is the mental realm of you. Made up of your attitudes, your appetites, your emotions, your ability to think and to reason. Now listen, once you've been born again and you've received the life of God, you still have old ways of thinking. So the life of God wasn't imparted to your soul either. You can still think the ways that you thought. Let me ask you, some of y'all have been Christians a while, but do you still have some of the same attitudes you had before you got <laughs> What about appetites? What about the emotions? 
Okay, so see, we just by process of elimination, we know that it wasn't our body, it wasn't our soul, but that it was the spirit that received the divine life of God. In fact, the reason why that uh, we live by faith, because the Bible says the just shall live by faith. The reason we have to live by faith is because we cannot discern the condition of our spirit with our physical senses. I can't feel my spirit. I can't see it. I can't, you know, I can't touch it. So by physical senses, I do not have the ability to determine the condition of my spirit. In fact, in, uh, I think it's First Peter chapter 3, he calls the spirit the hidden man of the heart. Because he's really hidden to us. We can't know anything about him uh, except by the word of God. The word of God is what was given to us. And it reveals the condition of the spirit of the unbeliever. And it reveals the condition of the spirit of the believer. The word of God imparts faith to us. You know what faith really is? Faith is a sense that gives us the ability to discern spiritual realities. I'm going to say that again. The primary purpose of faith is to be able to determine and discern the condition of your spirit. To be able to, uh, to comprehend the truth that you have the life of God on the inside of you. Does that make sense? What I wanted to point out is that the impartation of God's life happened in the innermost part of who you are. And it doesn't automatically affect the rest of your being. Do you know you could be born again, receive the life of God, and if you do not enter into the process that God has given to partake of that life, you could live your whole life as a Christian with the life of God in your innermost person and never experience it. Mm. Not good, yeah. Well, here's the sad part about it, is you could have a whole different kind of life. You could be experiencing life as God has it, but because of a lack of knowledge, you can be destroyed when you've got the answer. you got everything you need on the inside. But listen, if you don't know about it, if you don't understand what you've got and you don't understand how to partake of it, it's not going to affect you automatically. It's available, but it's not automatic. You have to make a purposed, intentional, uh, you have to intentionally purpose in your heart to begin to partake of the life of God. Man, I mean, it's amazing. The fullness of God. You know, Jesse preached a couple weeks ago and he was talking about that what the universe couldn't contain. The universe couldn't contain God. In fact, it's still expanding at the speed of light. But God designed human beings with the capacity. Oh, my goodness. God. God designed us with the capacity to contain the fullness of God. 
I don't have this scripture in my notes, so I can't go to it, but in verse John, uh, or no, in John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 16, it says, of his fullness have we all received, and grace upon grace. Of his fullness. Think about it. We didn't just get a portion of him. Listen, God, he's not divided up into pieces and, and, you know, Patty got apart and Rhonda got apart. No, he came in his fullness. He's omnipresent. He can be everywhere all the time. And he has filled every believer in his fullness with his very person. That means the very life of God is on the inside of you. Mm. But it's in a hidden place. It's in the hidden man of the heart. See, the heart is made up of the spirit and the soul. The two together comprise the human heart. But the life of God was only departed in the spirit. In fact, in Hebrews 4, I'm not going to go there. It says that the word of God is a sword that is able to divide asunder the soul and the spirit. Only the word of God can divide the two so listen without the word of God we are helpless to partake of the life of God even though we are possessors of it (laughs) I want to say this too that life and light are connected darkness and death are connected So death is just the manifestation of everything that came into the human condition because of sin. So I'm talking about sickness, disease, addiction, disorders, confusion, identity confusion, all this stuff that's going on. These are manifestations of death. What is death? The absence of life. The absence of life is death. So darkness and death are connected. Life and light are connected. The point that I want to make with that is that when you turn the light on, even though this room may be completely dark, now I'm telling you when the electric went off last week, man, I walked in this room and it was amazing how dark it was. I mean, even with my phone light, it was hard to see. But listen, whenever you turn the light on, the darkness is dispelled. Here's the point. When life begins to be uh, released into these other parts of our being, man, death is driven out. So many people are fighting with Darkness. When all you need to do is turn the light on. <laughs> you don't you know you don't shovel darkness out of a room. There's no way to shoo it out. You just turn the light on. Problem is most believers have not put themselves in a position for them to be able to begin partaking of this life to to the degree 
that darkness is driven out. See, when you get light on the fact uh, that you are, uh, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed, sickness can't abide in your body any longer. See, but most believers, they have this idea that God will heal me. But the Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. See, as long as I think in God's going to do it, then I'm in hope. I'm not in faith because faith is now. As long as I'm saying, I know God's going to heal me. Well, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet because I'm still believing in something that's going to happen. And I haven't actually apprehended the fact that God's already done it. So we have the life of God on the inside of us. We are possessors of that life. Look at, uh, look at this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Our body is a vessel. It's not who we are. And we have a treasure on the inside of us. What is the treasure? It's the life of God. The person of God has moved in on the inside of us. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And what is the life of God? He tells us it's power. It's power over. (laughs) It's power over all of the uh, authority of darkness. And the reason I say it like that because it includes everything. There's nothing. Listen, one thing's not harder than the other. Amen. Everything that's darkness gets dispelled by light automatically. You just got to get the light on. You got to begin to release the life of God that is on the inside of you. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Uh, let's look at this scripture here. This is First Peter chapter one and verse three. It says, as his divine power has given to us, how many things? All All things. And has is past tense. So he has already given to us all things that pertain to life and God-likeness, I like to say. And godliness. Everything that we need to experience life. And that word is the same word that he uses for divine life. To experience God's life or life as God has it. And godliness, which is to be like God, which means we can think like God. We can act like God. And we can cooperate together with God as partners. Everything that we need, He has already given to us. Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue... And where he says knowledge of him, anytime I see that in the New Testament, you know, I don't know about you, but I always, when I very first started reading the Bible, I saw knowledge of him and I thought of knowing him. But when I found out through my studies is the knowledge of God is to know what God knows. So that's what Paul prayed for in Ephesians 1. 
you know, he went through all of the stuff, and Pastor just taught on Ephesians. He went through all of the stuff that God did for us through the redemptive work of Jesus. And it's so wonderful that he had to pray a prayer that we might be able to comprehend it. He said that we would receive a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What was he praying for? He was praying that we would know what God knows about Jesus and about what he accomplished for us through his death, burial, resurrection, and seating at the right hand of God. Why? Because we participated in it by faith. He didn't do it for him. He did it for us. His work was vicarious for us. He didn't need it. He was already in heaven. His coming to earth, dying, being raised from the dead, and ascending back to the seat at the right end of God was so that he would raise his church up to that place. And his seating is is representative of the fact that it's finished, it's complete, it's perfect. It's a perfect work. And so that tells you that everything that we needed for life and godliness has already been provided from God's side. Mm. It's complete. Look at this next verse. By which we have been given, or what by which have been given to us, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Divine means God's nature. Think about that. If words mean anything, he's saying that through the promises of God, we have the, the ability to be partakers of God's nature. Wow. Wow. And promises. See, most people relate to God uh, not based on promises, but they relate to God based on um, performance. That's what I was trying to think. Most believers' relationship with God is all based on performance. They're measuring themselves based on how they're performing. And they're believing that God is responding to them based on their performance. But God has already preemptively provided redemption for us. Imparted his life to us. And then he gave his promises in the word so we could have faith to understand what's ours. And begin to partake of the very nature of God. See, the promises of the New Testament, other than the promise of Jesus returning and us having a glorified body, all of the promises that pertain to life and godliness are promises fulfilled, not promises made. Oh, man. They're promises fulfilled, not promises made. They were promises made in the Old Testament. Jesus came and fulfilled them. So now all of the promises of God are fulfilled. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, All of the promises of God are yes in Him. (laughs) Why? Because He already fulfilled everything for them to belong to us. And through our union with Him, God has given us His yes to every promise. They already belong to us. But the only way you can know what belongs to you, the only way that you can get into faith and begin to partake of what, be- you belo- what belongs to you, 
is by the word. Because you'll never know. Because this is an undiscernible part of your being. You would never know that the life of God is on the inside of you if the Bible didn't reveal it. Mm. Only if the Bible reveals it. Let's look at uh, Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Now listen, let me just say this about that. The word conformed means to be squeezed into the mold of. So the world and the world system is outside of us. And it is constantly exerting pressure through what it preaches to form you into the mold of the world. Constantly. We're being barraged with ideas, opinions, and thoughts that are contrary to what God has declared eternally in his word. Okay, so we got this information coming from the outside. And the purpose of it is to form us into the mold of the world system. So we just become undiscernible. You see what I'm saying? Because the enemy, he don't care if you're going to heaven. He just don't want you releasing any heaven on earth. Because where heaven takes ground, he loses ground. (laughs) He says, not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the key... To being transformed into what God predetermined you to be is that you have to deal with your mind, which is the soulish realm. This is the first part. Well, see, here's the life of God. The first part that has to be dealt with is the way that you think, which is what the Word of God does, is it begins to transform the way that we think about God. Let me say this, about God. Because, listen, all religion is, is man's idea. Let me say this, man's best guess about God. That's what religion is. It's man's best guess about God. So the first thing God has to deal with, he's got to deal with your perception of him. Because the enemy, remember um, pastor's uh, teaching, what was that called? Um, Gosh, I can't remember what it is now. But really, the enemy tries to, ch- to get our perception of God to be wrong. And so he's gone about saying, well, God puts sickness on people. God does tragic things to people. He's trying to teach you a lesson and blah, blah, blah. And so the first thing that we need to have changed is we need to be transformed in the way that we think about God because he's the one we got to draw near to. If you think he's your problem... <laughs> Then you're not going to, you're not, yeah. Uh, And so the first thing we have to have is we have to have a transformation in the way that we think about God. A lot of people think God's mad at you. Listen, God was satisfied with the sacrifice of Jesus. 
it doesn't mean that he's excited about what all's going on in your life. Because he don't want things happening that are destroying you and open the door to the devil and open the door to death. So the first thing we have to have is, is change in the way that we think about God. The second thing we have to have is a change in the way that we think about us. We have to begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. We have to see ourselves the way God reveals that we are in Christ. Because listen, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Listen, I know this, this hurts to hear. But your life is exactly the way you believe it to be. That's what that scripture says. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Your life is going exactly the way you believe it to be. My life is going exactly the way I believe it to be. Because listen, the devil cannot. The devil's defeated. In the life of the believer, his authority has been stripped. We have to cooperate with our own destruction. The devil just can't come along and just do stuff in your life. You know, Peter said this. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't just come and devour people. But some people are doing a good job of helping him. <laughs> we have to discover who God declares that we are. And then we begin to embrace that as our reality. Which bolsters our ability to stand in our identity in Christ. Mm. Listen, because what you believe about yourself determines the direction of your life. That's why we have all the scriptures in the New Testament. The in Christ scriptures. That's why the Holy Spirit had Paul write those down. So that we could know... Our true identity. Because remember, I'm not a body, I'm a spirit. And when I got born again, my spirit changed completely. It went from death to life. It went from unrighteous to righteous. <laughs> you see, there was a whole change. In fact, 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, If any man is joined to the Lord, he is one spirit. With him. That means in this unseen part, Jesus and I have been so fused together spiritually that we are one. Man. It doesn't say that my spirit is like his. Ooh. It doesn't even say that my spirit is identical to his. It says it's one with his. My identity was swallowed up in his. In fact, my old, the old man that I was was crucified and put to death. And I was raised up to newness of life in him. I got scripture for that. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. I think I might have it on here. Let me look at this. If not, I'll use my Bible. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. For you died, 
That's pretty plain. <laughs> For you died. Hallelujah. Boy, I tell you what, I needed to die. The old, that old man that I used to be, there was no, uh, you know, there was no renewing him through behavior modification. He needed to die. He had the nature of the serpent. Every person is born with that nature. A nature that's anti-God. A nature that's in rebellion to God. It says, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Listen to this. When Christ, who is our life. Oh, man. You know, that's why Paul, talking to the church, says, you are Christ. You are the body of Christ. Jesus left the earth, but Christ never did. Hmm. The body, the, the church is the corporate body of Jesus. We were put to death so that we could all be raised a new man in him. You died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, you will appear with him in his glory. We are so united to Jesus That there is no discerning between the two in the spirit. That's why Paul could say things like this. That you were dead in your trespasses. But God made us alive together with Christ. Raised us up together with him. And made us to sit together with him in heavenly places. Man you got to have revelation of the Holy Spirit. To even begin to embrace these truths. Because they're in a realm that's not discernible. To your physical senses. That's why we get up here and say all the time that you need to get in the Word. We're not trying to give you a discipline. We're trying to give you the tools to discover spiritual realities. Because us seated at the right hand of God is not just a a concept. Us being one with Christ is not just a concept. And I used to use this. A lot of the theologians and stuff use this phrase. And I've used it. Uh, but the Lord was showing me that a different way to look at it that really helped me to be able to grasp. But a lot of theologians use the phrase positional truth in regard to some of the things that I'm talking about. Positional truth. The fact that we are seated at the right hand of God in Him. Okay? But for me, I don't know about for you, you may not have a problem with it, but for me... I saw the phrase positional truth as just like a concept, but not really reality. You know, it's just like describing a concept. But the Lord said, don't use positional truth, use spiritual realities, because that's what they are. We truly are seated with Christ in, in heavenly places at the right hand of God. Either that or Paul was just speaking, you know, waxing poetically. Because these are spiritual realities. And the reason that I bring this up, as long as it's just a concept to you, you'll never be able to experience uh, what, what it was meant for it to cause in your life. 
It's not just a concept. It's a reality. It's a reality. See, people are trying to get to heaven. If you understand what he's saying here, you're already there. <laughs> and then I grew up, I, people, I, I, people I loved, that's all they talked about. Boy, I hope I make it to heaven. Well, listen, you better know before you go. <laughs> listen. <laughs> they used to say that was the whole focus was I, I want to make sure that I make it to heaven. If you understand the truth that the Word of God reveals, for the born-again believer, you're already there. Heaven is in you. What makes heaven heaven? God's there. <laughs> well, where does God live? He lives on the inside of me. Well, I'm one with Christ. I've been joined to the Lord. You say, how do you know? Because I did what the Bible said. I believed in my heart. I confessed with my mouth. Jesus is Lord. And by faith, I know that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And I've received an impartation of the life of God that had the ability to break the bondage of addiction for 20 years off of my life in an why? Because when light comes into a situation, darkness is dispelled. I didn't struggle with addiction. When the light came that I was not an addict, that I was no longer a sinner, that I was no longer an addict, that I was no longer an alcoholic, that I was no longer a criminal, that I was no longer destined for destruction. When that light came because of my union with Christ, immediately addiction was broken off of my life. What I struggled and fought against for 20 years was broken in a moment. Why? Faith entered my heart based on what the Word of God declares. And I quit saying I'm an addict. I quit saying I'm an alcoholic. I quit saying I'm a criminal. I quit saying I'm destined for destruction. And I begin to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, I said it from conviction because I believed it. That's the problem is we got unbelieving believers who mentally assent to what the Word of God says, but they don't truly believe it in the depths of their heart. And so when something contrary comes, they bow to the contrary Word that opposes what God has declared. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind, not your best effort. See, what the problem is, religious Christianity has changed the emphasis from believing to behaving. The church, the religious Christianity, religious Christianity has preached, behave, 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 at the expense of people being able to believe. Listen, if you believe right, you'll behave right. Go read the book of John. It's believe, 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 believe. And then in verse uh, chapter 21, he says, I've written all these things that you may believe. <laughs> First John, in his other book, First John chapter 5, at the end of it, he said, I've written these things that you might believe, that you have eternal life, that you may know. 
There's not supposed to be any question about it. That you may know, that you may believe. You see, the church has been so worried about people's behaving that we've sacrificed their ability to believe, which is the source of behaving. Hmm. Feel like I painted myself in a corner. (laughs) Believing comes before behaving, behaving is the fruit of believing. You cannot behave um, in the nature of God without his life to empower it. And his life cannot get through your unbelief. You have to begin to renew your mind with the word of God that you believe what's true here. You embrace it as your reality. What's true here? By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. You have a source of life on the inside of you. You don't need somebody else. Now listen, we'll lay hands on you till we rub the hair off the top of your head. We believe in the laying on of hands. When a believer lays hands on somebody, it's like battery cables. Boom. We're releasing the life of God. But honestly, you've got the generator on the inside of you. You've got it on the inside of you. The very life of God is on the inside of you. Cancer is not. Uh, cancer has, is no match for the life of God. No disease is. If it was, then you're saying that the kingdom of darkness is more powerful than the kingdom of light. Which is ludicrous. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transform is an interesting word. It's the word metamorpho, which is where we get the word metamorphosis. It's not a change that comes from the outside in. It's a change that comes from the inside out. It's actually transforming into the fullness of what you were created to be. The, you know, I hesitate to use this example, but I'm going to use it because it's such a good illustration But it's where we get metamorphosis and the caterpillar changing into the butterfly is the illustration. Let me ask you this. Was that being, is it the caterpillar or is it the butterfly? Which one is it? It's both. It's just the butterfly is the mature form of the caterpillar, but they're both the same being. It's just that what was in the caterpillar all along is now manifested. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. It's just been made manifest. And what's on the inside of you is just waiting to be made manifest. But here's the thing. The caterpillar had to go through a God-ordained process in order to transform. Mmm. So he goes into a place of rest and he begins to be surrounded by this cocoon. And in that place, what, in that process of what God ordained and put within him, what's on the inside begins to be manifest on the outside. 
It's not by your behavior modification. It's by you getting into the process. Getting wrapped up in the cocoon of the Word of God. And allowing it to be just totally envelop the way that you think and see yourself. And when you do, you will supernaturally, naturally begin to change. Mm. Ephesians 4 says it like this. It says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's interesting that he uses spirit of your mind rather than just the renewing of your mind. And that's, I believe that's very significant because the spirit of your mind, the word spirit there means disposition. Okay? So it's not talking about, see, because you have two, uh, two forms of consciousness. Okay? You have your consciousness and you have a subconscious thought. See, conscious thought you can mentally, mentally assent to things. But on the subconscious level, that's really the spirit of your mind. Because here's the thing. You can say, oh, I believe in healing, I believe in healing, I believe in healing. But then what happens when you get sick? What's your response? That reveals the spirit of your mind. Oh, boy. <laughs> See, we have to be transformed in our, in our soul on the subconscious level. That's the deepest level of your thought. It's the response level. What comes out when you're under pressure? That's, that's what really reveals what you believe. Because listen, anybody, all Christians know what to say when they're at church. I heard somebody say one time, if you want to know what you believe, don't listen to yourself at church. Listen to yourself at Walmart. <laughs> listen to yourself when you're not at church and you're just talking in your conversation. You'll begin to tell off on yourself. You start, start revealing what you really believe. Because we all know what to say here. By the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. <laughs> but then when you get hit, what's your response? That really reveals the spirit of your mind. See, so what that shows me is that you can't just have a surface level relationship. You can't just have a surface level relationship with truth and expect that you're going to experience the fullness of it. See, now I'm not talking about works. I'm talking about discovery. I'm talking about discovery. See, valuable things are never on the surface. You know, when you don't just walk outside and see nuggets of gold and silver and gemstones laying on the surface of the ground. No, you got to dig for them. Well, they're hidden, not from you, but for you. That's the way revelation knowledge is. It's hidden in the Word of God. Not from us. It's hidden for us. If it was laying out on the ground, well, the thief would come and get it before you got there. No, it's hidden for you. 
And the Bible, man, you need to be a spiritual miner. <laughs> Put your little hat on with your light. Get your little pickaxe. You know, approach the word with joy, anticipation. I'm going to find something in here that is eternal gold and silver and precious stones. It's the currency, man, the currency of the spirit realm where I can begin to tap in to the riches of Christ, His life that's on the inside of me where I can begin to partake of His divine life and I can begin to exhibit and express His nature, His love, His joy, His peace. Mm. Man. Where I can begin to experience God's life, not just in me, but through me. Now I'll close with this. In John chapter 4, we all know the story of the woman at the well. What did Jesus say? He said, the water that I give you will be a well of water springing up into eternal life. What was he saying? When you take a drink of what I have to offer... It's life. What you're getting is life. And it's going to be a source that never runs out. Oh, my goodness. A fountain. You know, the picture of that is a, a well, a geyser. I think of it like uh, whatever's a problem in your life, you get that geyser going, it's just going to whoosh. Displace it. Kind of like a uh, tsunami of life. (laughs) You know, when a tsunami comes in, it moves stuff. It begins to move stuff out of the way. And that's what when when the tsunami of God's life begins to come forth from your spirit, it'll begin to move what's not of God out of your life. What you got to get is you got to get a soul that's in agreement with your spirit. I think it's in uh, the book of Amos. It says, how can two walk together unless they agree? Well, God's not going to get in agreement with you. (laughs) He's not. He's not going to get in agreement with you and your deception. (laughs) You know, the question is, is God on our side? It's are we on his side? See, he's not the one who needs to make an adjustment. We are. He's not going to, listen. I hesitate to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Affirming people in their deception is not love. Mm. Affirming people in their deception is never love. God is not going to affirm us in our deception. He never will. We have to put our life up to the light. And when it's not, when I'm not experiencing the life of God, then I know that I need to make an adjustment in the way that I think. I'm not seeing things right. So maybe I'm facing a certain situation. Well, I got it here in this word. This word's got everything in it. I can find it in here. I can find the answer. 
And I got the Holy Spirit in here, the writer of this book that I can sit down with and he can take me through it and he can reveal it and unveil the truth of it to me so that I can see things correctly and that I can begin to partake of that life. Listen, it's only because of the fall that we don't operate from the inside out anyway. It's the way we were created to function. When God created Adam, he breathed into him the breath of life. Not oxygen, his spirit, his life. So we were designed to function this way. But when Adam sinned, he died spiritually and we began to function from the outside in. So all of our decisions were made on how we feel. And we were trained by the system of the world and our devoid, being devoid of life, we were trained how to feel and how to think. All of our attitudes, appetites, and emotions were developed based on the information. We were being conformed to this world. But man, we've been given the gift of the life of God on the inside of us. And as we get in the word, the soul begins to be saved. We begin to think the thoughts of God. We begin to think what God thinks. We begin to know what God knows about us. We begin to see who we truly are. We can begin to identify with Jesus as our reality. Oh, not just a concept. Not just when I get to heaven. But right now, I am as he is in this world. Regardless of the outward man. Yeah, he's in process. But in my spirit, as he is, so am I, even now in this world. If you never embrace that, you're never going to experience it as a reality in your life. In fact, that's what the Holy Spirit came to convict us of. That's what he came to convict us of. Go read John 16, 7 through 15 tonight. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer. He came to glorify Jesus by taking what's his and declaring it to us. That's what it says. Jesus said when he comes, he'll lead you into all truth. What is truth? He's going to take what's mine and declare it to you. You know what that means? What's true of Jesus is true of you. And a lot of people are like, man, that almost sounds sacrilegious. Do, can you dare to believe what the Word says? Can you dare to believe that what's true of Him is equally true of you? Oh, man, I didn't say just partially true. What's true of Him is equally true of you. And what belongs to Him belongs to you. My goodness. Hallelujah. See, that's what the Holy Spirit came to convince us of. That is the truth that is hidden that the Holy Spirit came to unveil. He came to reveal Christ not just to us, but in us. My goodness. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's just stand. I've already kept you too long. Thank you, Lord. 
Hallelujah. Father, we just give you praise. We thank you for the finished work of Jesus. We thank you, Father God, for the work, the eternal work that you've done on the inside of each and every believer. We thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus that he did for every man. And if there's anybody here tonight that has never made Jesus the Lord of their life and received the impartation of the life of God that has the ability to give them liberty and freedom in their life, I just speak to you right now in the name of Jesus. I beg you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God because God has reconciled himself to you already. If there's anybody here tonight, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. We would love to see you tonight come to faith, pass from death to life, and receive a new life to become a son of God. That's the offer. God's testimony is this, that he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And he who has the son has the life. But he who does not have the Son does not have the life. Gosh, he made it so easy. All we do is believe and confess Jesus as Lord. That means we put all of our trust in him. We turn ourselves over to his care. Him who's faithful and true. We surrender and trust him to take our life and to make it what he designed it to be before the foundation of the world. Is there anybody here tonight that says, I want to receive Jesus? I've never received him as the Lord of my life. And tonight is my night. I want the life of God. Anybody here tonight? Anybody, for the, maybe you received Jesus years ago, but you haven't been walking with him. You want to make a new dedication to pursuing the Lord. Anybody here tonight? Amen. Well, we're going to have ministers up here at the front as we close the service. So if you have a need of somebody to agree with you in prayer over anything that you're facing in your life or anything that was said tonight, you want to come up and have someone pray with you over it, we invite you to do that. We don't want you to leave here without receiving of God's goodness tonight. We love you. God bless you. You're dismissed.